0: If someone sprints straight ahead, unless it's for two steps, they're not going to stop with their feet in line with each other. Mm -hmm. They're going to stop with a foot angled to the side because that's the fastest way for someone to decelerate anyway. So the idea that we we run for five yards as hard as we can, and we do these choppy steps and we land with our feet forward, that just doesn't happen.
1: That was Jason Fairheller, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Lost Empire Herbs and I want to share with you how to get a free bag of pine pollen through Lost Empire here today. Quickly first, I used to think herbs was just ginkgo biloba you got at the drugstore, but after being introduced to compounds such as the Phoenix Formula through Lost Empire, I've been a regular consumer of Lost Empire Herbs for over four years now. The Phoenix Formula instantly changed my viewpoint On herbalism. I was literally buzzing with energy after my first dose. Within two weeks, I was noticing strength improvements in the weight room. And it's been fun expanding my herbalism regime to different things throughout the Lost Empire Herb Store. In Phoenix Formula, in particular, along with Shiliagit, which is a very popular herb for strength and performance, you also have pine pollen, which is a superfood. It offers a variety of energy, health, and performance benefits. And you can grab that free bag of pine pollen with the modest cost of shipping. By heading to justflypinepollen.com. If you want to check out other herbs that I enjoy through Lost Empire, you can head to Lost Empire Herbs slash justfly and grab 15% off your order. I can't recommend Lost Empire enough, and I really enjoy the fact that I've been able to partner with them through this podcast for as long as I have. So be sure to check that out. Let's get on to the rest of the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you here. Our guest today is Jason Fairheller. He is the co-owner and strength coach at Function and Strength in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and he's also the host of the Speed and Power Podcast. Jason has a passion for speed and athletic movement training. He's a sought-after speaker on the topic of multidirectional athleticism, and Jason has developed the course Improving Game Speed through multidimensional plyometrics. On the podcast today, Jason goes into the key principles of change of direction versus agility training. So, change of direction being more technical in nature agility training being more game-oriented and reactive in nature, and how each method works into his own athletic performance programming. Jason will go into the nuances of how he looks at change-of-direction technique and training. He'll talk about plyometrics and ways he quantifies one's ability in change-of-direction outputs. He'll give his take on deceleration training mistakes and misconceptions, and much more. It was a lot of fun talking with Jason. This was a really informative show on all things change-of-direction and agility in sport. And I'm looking forward to getting this podcast going for you guys. So, let's get to episode 368 here with Jason Fairheller. Jason,
0: welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you on. Joel, thank you. And I, I got to tell you, before we get started, I listened to, I first found your show right after episode 14 came out. So, I listened for a long, long time. I actually read my review at one point, like an iTunes <laughs> review, but this has had as much of an impact on me as a coach, just listening to all these guests is just about anything else I've ever done. So, thank you. This is an, an awesome show. Keep it up.
1: I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun journey, man. I mean, just being able to, even just from my own selfish perspective, just being able to speak with so many coaches and be able to learn something new every week has been great. And I'm really glad it's been a helpful part of your coaching process. And For the first uh, question I was going to ask you, I think if a lot of people were to peruse your social media or what you're doing, they'll see a lot of game speed material or a game speed focus. But I know you also run a a podcast that's a little more general, like speed and power development. Tell me a little bit about how you got or have funneled a little bit into your current interest in light of maybe what your background has been as an athlete and where you started coaching.
0: For sure. So, I played primarily baseball. And I played some hockey and I played baseball through college, just division three local school, but I got an opportunity to play. So I took that chance right away. But I always thought that the, the work I put in didn't necessarily always transfer to what I was able to do on the field. And I had a good career, but I always felt like it could have been better. And I always thought it was because like looking back, I, I would have drastically changed how I, I trained. Fast forward a while I, I want to work with athletes um, I stay in the private sector open up a gym and I've always had a focus of speed training just because the very first place I worked out of an hour and a half session an hour of it was speed development and it was different stuff at the time like ladder drills, hurdle drills but there was still like acceleration days, max velocity days lateral days and over time I just kind of thought like this is a decent starting point, but there's way more to add to this. And I went to Lee Taft's speed retreat, and that, that was amazing. And I recommend it to anyone because if you get a chance to speak to someone who's an expert in something, especially for that amount of time, go take that opportunity. It was, it was really awesome. And he made me think about speed in terms of the different patterns of speed. And that's kind of what I've always focused on since then, is when you watch athletes move, and it really doesn't matter the sport, athletes will shuffle, they'll go into a lateral run, they'll perform hip turns, curb runs, back pedals, and then into linear speed out of some of those things. And started looking at those things individually. And then I started to look at what makes someone really good at those. And it was about the ability to link one movement pattern to another so a uh, hip turn into a shuffle a sprint into like a back pedal kind of angled backward all of these different things and then i i kind of transferred that into focusing on how do i improve those linking patterns through power development and you mentioned my podcast and over the the years that i've done it i had an opportunity like you mentioned to talk to a ton of great guests and it It is speed and plyo focus, but I do focus on uh, a lot of other things. But you just had Matt McInnes-Watson on your podcast. And he talks a lot about hopping kind of being like the end goal or the main thing that people should focus on. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. If I'm looking at someone's agility, when they're reacting to someone, they're not landing on two feet. It's their ability to plant a single leg into the ground quickly and then redirect that force whatever direction they need to go. So I've kind of taken that concept of unilateral biometrics and kind of transferred that into like multi directional unilateral biometrics, where I'm focusing more on, say, even like horizontal force in all directions as opposed to just vertical force. And I'm always watching video, always looking at different things, and that's kind of where I am right now.
1: Yeah, the the single leg element and the hopping it makes me think about from a developmental standpoint. Like when I was a kid, you do like chicken fights, where or we call them chicken fights. I don't even. I haven't seen kids do anything like this recently. I mean, maybe it is still a physical education thing, but I kind of doubt it because someone gets knocked over. But you would just put your hands on one leg behind you like it was like a quadricep stretch and then you would just have to hop around on one leg and bump into the other person and i don't know if it was one on one or if it was like a group thing i don't even remember but you would just knock into them until someone fell over and so it was in that own way uh on like the base level it was a a way of doing that or getting that stimulus (laughs) it's kind of funny to think about but it would make I would imagine that athletes who are really good at that, staying on their feet, staying upright, not falling over, also probably have some pretty good qualities and properties to them when it comes to being able to do a lot of things on the field. But I wanted to ask you, you know, with the whole change of direction and game speed thing, just from a philosophical perspective first, just because for me I'm always I am always thinking about the difference between how someone moves in a game when there is reactions and other players and there's the emotion of the game and a ball flying around and having to manage perception like maybe a zone playing a zone defense type thing or uh, like playing basketball like Tony Villani talks about and then what we do when those things aren't present and how do we make sure that we're making the best use of an athlete's time with that and like you said you said you watched a lot of game film and so just as a first a very first um point here is I'm curious what your take is on the role and place for movement training that does go outside of the decision-making perception and the associated movements that you see in sport. And how do you close that gap? Like what are some philosophical or or procedural ways you make sure that you are addressing that field movement as closely as possible?
0: For sure. So big question, and I'll I'll try to stay on, on task as best as I can here. So I'll say first off, I do change of direction work and agility work. So even though much of what I show is change of direction work, I still do agility work with the athletes I train because I do think it is important to try to find ways to close that gap. I I view speed training in terms of and even change of direction training as a particular skill. Just like anyone learns a skill like how to hit a tennis ball, how to hit a baseball, how to throw a baseball. I think there are certain things that we can get from change of direction training that we can then transfer to agility training or anything with perception. And when I do change of direction training, I think every single speed drill I do with someone is an assessment. So first thing I want to do is see what is their physical capacity to move when they're not thinking about anything else. And I'm not cueing someone like, put your foot exactly here, lean exactly here. A lot of the the drills I do, I don't even necessarily put cones out or anything like that. I don't want it to be so rehearsed where they go to, like like they time their strides out or something like that. But I want to see their physical capacity. And when I say that, I want to see how they perform a lateral shuffle. A lateral run, curved runs, back pedals, hip turns, and the ability to accelerate out of those things. And I'll look at one side versus the other side. And when we look at how do we even progress change of direction drills, it is you increase the speed going into any sort of cut, you, in, you change the angle of the cut to make it a little more difficult. And then you can even change the movement patterns of those things. So based off of the movement patterns I just mentioned, there really is a unlimited amount of options when it comes to training, change of direction stuff. So here's an example. I I just had a basketball player come in from Hong Kong like a week ago, and he wanted to train for a week. And he had played center before, he's 6'9", but they're moving him to forward. And he said with the type of defense that he's going to play now, He knows that he's not as quick as he needs to be to get out to like the three point line, come back, all of these different things. So, first thing is that we just look at like, what is his ability to do that? And I think that's a lot of like the missing piece, just him practicing that over and over again. He's done that. He's like 33 years old. He doesn't necessarily know, like, all right, I I know where I need to go, but I need to improve the physical capacity to do that. So we looked at it. He's definitely way stronger on his right side versus the left side, especially when it comes to unilateral power. When he was striking the ground, he tended to strike the ground too close to his body. So he wasn't creating like a shin angle to accelerate or change direction very well. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, the inner game of tennis by Timothy yeah, I have, it,
1: yeah, It's
0: It's awesome. But in a lot of that, he talks about like, the feeling that you get when you perform a rep well, of like striking the ball the way you want to. And I think the same thing applies. Like the feeling that you get when you strike the ground the way you should and accelerate out of that is the feeling that you want to replicate over and over again. And when I talk about striking the ground, and Adarian Barr talks a lot about creating a shin angle change, it is about creating an angle that that individual can accelerate from. So depending on their explosive power and their strength, it's going to be either closer or a little bit further from their body. Now, if they strike it too far away, their leg is too straight. They don't get that push off to the other side. But think about if we like accelerate from quarter squat, if we're doing a back squat, we can accelerate pretty fast from there. We almost want to hit the ground with that knee angle and that amount of knee flexion and hip flexion, and that's going to allow someone to accelerate really well out of that. Because ultimately, they need to redirect force and then get their other foot back on the ground quickly. Mention when someone does agility work, they're planting a single foot in the ground. That foot is to stop you and kind of redirect force, but it's the other foot that strikes the ground and retracts into the ground that really helps you mm-hmm. accelerate. So I'm just looking at those things when someone goes through different movements, going laterally to backwards, laterally to forward, and doing that at all angles. And I think when a lot of people think of change of direction work, they think of ladders, hurdles, cones. And so much of it is just focused on how do you move side to side, like perform a pro agility. That's your change of direction work. No, that is just one tiny, tiny piece of what actual game speed is. And if you go to my Instagram, I do put up videos of people performing what I would call like movement skills. And one I particularly like is Kawhi Leonard. And he's out about the three-point line. And he kind of like stabs his foot forward, his, his left foot to steal the ball. But he ends up kind of missing. And now the person is actually on the left side of his body and goes to like run by him. And what he does so well is a 180 degree hip turn, punches his foot into the ground, and then goes into a lateral run to maintain position. And he's able to keep that angle. And if I were to just have athletes come in and try that skill, and I've done this, a lot of them can't do that right away, like the very first time. It takes some practice to perform that, and then especially if you take a sprint or two steps hard and then change, flip your hips around and come back. So I think of that particularly as a skill where someone who doesn't own that physical capacity, they wouldn't have been able to make that type of play. And that's where I'm trying to do that.
1: Yeah. The next question I had for you along those lines was how you, and you mentioned with the basketball player who needed to do a different type of training, but maybe in light of an athlete who has been playing the same position for some time. Uh, just steps on how you ensure that the athlete is getting change of direction training that they aren't already getting in sport, if that makes sense. Because obviously, the, the, the basketball player, he needed to, he clearly sure. needed to move in a way he wasn't already getting because he was changing positions. But a question that popped in my head that I think fits with that, that might be more relevant before I, I, I asked that, because you did already cover that a little bit with at least the basketball player, but you mentioned you do both COD which is more the, I guess you could call it canned or the, the non-reactionary change of direction library and then agility, which is uh, more live, like live perception reaction games, I'm assuming you would yeah. be by that. And so, I'm just curious of that interplay, how that looks in your session because I, I was going to ask how it relates to the game, but it, it would strike me that there's also a lot of opportunities to, like Andy Ryland talks about ha- having athletes, like it's been talked about where you have an athlete do like you could have them do a live agility or a different skill and then you break it down, then you stop and break down what the weak point is. And then you go back in the skill again and see if the athletes could reintegrate that. I'm curious that interplay between the COD and the agility in your sessions.
0: So, uh, I'll go back to like the the first question of like, how do I progress it if someone kind of already does those types of Mm -hmm. things within their sport or within their practice? And this goes back to Rob Gray's book of like, about a two-thirds to three-quarters rule, can they do the drill well two-thirds to three-quarters of the time? If they Hmm. can do it well 100% of the time, they own that skill. I move on from there. Hmm. But for the most part, I don't do any drill for more than two to three reps without changing it in some capacity by either adding more speed, changing the angle, those types of things. So. I'm not just honing the same single drill over and over again, because movement options are the, on the field are endless. So I'm trying to just get as many of those in as I can. And I understand there's a ton of things that I can do in the gym that I'm not the, replicating on the field, but I'm just trying to get as close as I possibly can. And then the other part of that was like, how would I incorporate that? So I incorporate my, my, speed sessions. Start off where I have a particular focus for a day where I'm either retreating any angle backwards, and it could be moving laterally to angle backwards, just moving backwards. Anything attacking would be a different day, anything forward, laterally would be another day. And then you're just straight up acceleration or or max velocity work. So each day has a particular focus on that. And as the speed session goes on, Drills get more intense by adding more time, more speed to them, or changing the angles. So they progressively get harder as time goes on. And then I will just do all my perception stuff at the very end. So the example I've talked about with like Kawhi Leonard. So let's say I did like th- that type of work where I'm doing hip turns and do like retreating sprints like that. I might have someone line up They might be kind of like face-to-face, but one person's in a lateral stance. And as soon as a person takes off, they just are watching them and they have to like spin and then go into a sprint and try to maintain that angle. And then I can manipulate the space between them or other things to make it just a little bit different every time they go into it. But it's essentially, we practice that specific skill that day. Hopefully, they have the feeling of it that I talked about earlier. And now, without them consciously thinking about it, can they still hit the angle they want? And a lot of times when they're doing different drills, like they will actually say, like, that was a good rep. That wasn't a good rep. And I love hearing that, knowing that like as time goes by, they understand what it feels like. Because ultimately, if they know that feeling... Even when they go to a practice or a game, then they know like, I, I didn't do that well, but I know what it feels like to mm-hmm. do that well. And that's that's the best I can hope for. And I think if if we were to eliminate all of that, then it is a little more, I don't want to say guessing because that's that's not right, mm-hmm. but it's like you're hoping that the agility and perception stuff that you do applies yeah. without knowing for sure if their physical capacity is actually in- increasing as well within those things.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me, especially with what you're just saying. I, I I feel like it would be very easy. And I think, you know, in terms of even what's popular on social media, things that are very much reduced, like a very simple plyometric, a very simple agility drill, these are the things that are the most popular because they're extremely simple to understand. But if someone was to post like a little more complex, like agility drill, like a like a three on four, and there are some other things going on, people would watch that and they wouldn't understand it. <laughs> and so, yeah. but ultimately, yeah. I think it's like you said. I think it's very easy to take a lot of these canned drills. You just take a smattering of very simple drills, and then you do them all. You have a few things to look for, and you hope it transfers. But I, I like what you were saying about the feeling of it all. I remember that's what Seth Lintz was talking about, pitching doctor on yeah. ultimately, technically, there needs to be something from a feeling perspective that the athlete connects. And like Sam Portland talks about, coaching is also a conversation. And I would imagine that one of the biggest markers, especially as like game speed is complex, of, of being able to Feel like there are inroads to transfer as Athletes saying, "Well, I felt that thing we worked on. I felt that thing on the field. Not I, you would probably hear that more, I imagine. Than well, hey, this uh, forty-five degree or one hundred thirty-five degree cut we did. I, I felt that. I I didn't. I felt. I did that angle. No one would say that <laughs> for the game. Yeah.
0: No. You're. Yeah. No. Nobody would say that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I just think that's interesting. Even when you were talking about like finding a good shin angle and and things like that. I I would think about athletes who. Maybe they aren't quite as aggressive in their cuts on the field, and well, how do you get them into that process where you can break them into steeper shin angles and larger, like larger steps to separate and those types of things? And ultimately, yeah, like you said, they're they're not going to be able to transfer it back unless they were able to go a little further than they typically do, and then that felt good, and they did it enough times that they could then feel it in the game. I know for me, linear speed being a, one of my key interests is doing enough rotational type work and you could say special strength and and training along those realms when I, I remember I was playing a game of ultimate football and I remembered sprinting up the field and feeling that what I had been doing without actually thinking about it it just I was like oh I'm sprinting a little bit differently now I feel this this is great and but then that that being a very simple thing just linear but being able to take that and feel that in multi-directional movement is awesome I you know, along those lines, I was actually going to ask you if if there are simpler forms of agility training. You could say like a short set of game, but maybe even simpler, like a mirror drill or something that could offer an athlete uh, even simpler or easier context to feel some of those things. I mean, do you, in terms of how you progress those? You know, you mentioned it, like trying to find the links. You know, outside of the game, are there simple reactionary, like like where there is an agility, a live agility reaction? methods that you can think of or utilize to try to get to find quicker links between some of those things? Or or maybe just tell me more about the process of, of transferring that feeling over into how an athlete is moving on the field.
0: Sure. So, I think the first step is athletes have to get the feeling of moving fast. So, it doesn't matter what their actual speed is, you need to find drills in which they are moving super fast. And this can even go back into like the nervous system type training from like Marv Marinovich, where mm-hmm. they're just doing fast feet, they're doing rapid fire jumps or, or hops side to side, but they have to get the feeling of moving fast because if they don't have that feeling of like, I can actually move my body faster, I, I have not seen it happen the way I want it to. Uh, the, I've said before on like a, a couple other podcasts, my biggest cue all the time is move faster, move faster, move faster, particularly when it comes to like, any type of like fast or, or rapid fire type drill where they're covering a short distance with either jumps or any type of speed exercise. But they have to get that, that feeling of moving fast. And then we'll, I'll just go back to like some progressions to like find a shin angle. So if I have my feet close together, like right next to each other, and I just put my feet out to the side and back, And just do a straddle jump like that. What I'm looking at is how far can an athlete actually get their feet to the side? And what is that shin angle where their head position doesn't go up or down? And essentially, that distance is close to what they actually would have on the field. And if it's not very far, then you know like there's a lot of physical capacity work that has to be done to allow them to get a little bit further to the side. Because when someone's performing straddle jumps, only half of their body weight is on each leg. And then from there, I'll have someone go with their feet right next to each other and just go into a sprint, have them drop down like a quarter squat, and then they go into a sprint. So from there, in order from the sprint, they have to punch a foot back and do that false step in order to sprint to the side. But essentially, I'm trying to mimic that one single punch into the ground in order to punch to the side. And then eventually they can hold that quarter squat stand on a single leg, and then punch that foot into the ground to the side, and that's going to be essentially the shin angle that that they own. And those are just kind of ways I can progress that and see what is their actual capacity to do that. And then as far as the the games that I do, the turf space we have is not huge. It's about like ten yards by twenty yards, so I cannot get all of the games that that I would love to get in. Mm. Pretty much like a three-on-three would be about the absolute max, but really like two-on-two, two-on-one, one-on-one is for the most part what I'm doing with most of my athletes. But one of my favorite things to do is just different variations of tag where I have boxes or even other people out there that they have to like avoid or run around as they're getting chased or or something like that. And I think that alone, especially within very short distances, will tell you a lot about how an athlete can accelerate, how well they can change direction. And that yeah, there's a bunch of different variations of, of those types of things you can do. Yeah, the
1: boxes reminds me of when I I went to Rafe Kelly's Return to the Source about two years ago or two summers ago at this point now. And one of the most the only way I could describe I'm really tripping over my words like describing it. It was one of the most overall, both from a a physical and then mental stimulation perspective. Rich, you could say, just just so much information coming in the system. Was playing tag with like six other people in this creek bed with all sorts of rocks, and they were all sorts of different heights too. And if you fell in the water, there was I think you were it if you fell in, or there was some penalty. But I mean, there was rocks that were 6 inches off the ground or less and then there was rocks that were four, 4 or 5 feet high almost that you would climb up on and i just the the amount of stimulation there was just crazy and it gave me a new perspective on just how fast we take in information and react to things period and i it's funny cuz rafe had mentioned a little bit about world chase tag before i went to the retreat and was playing tag in the river and then but i remember before that experience where I was actually playing it in that rich environment, I might have watched a few videos and thought it was interesting. But then after I play I played tag there, I was like, wow, that is amazing. Like the more information you have, it's just it's it's hard to describe almost until you've done it. But I think it kind of brings me to there's a lot of information when you're playing five on five basketball and there's a crowd and it's like and it's emotionally intense. And to take things into that level of information and intensity, uh, yeah, putting extra things in that environment to increase the richness. I'm such a huge proponent of, I just think it's, it's really valuable. Um,
0: I do love, uh, you mentioned like different heights of the rocks. I love putting different sizes of boxes out too, like some tall, some just like six inches or a foot off the ground where someone's just going to have to jump over it a little bit, but know that when they commit to doing that, if they need to change direction quickly, it's going to be a little bit different than if they just were running and then had to come back.
1: Yeah. I know one of the questions I have for you, too, is, uh, and I'll make sure I get to it, is the, the boxes and the use of COD. And I always see, and I know Lee Taft has a lot of low box stuff. I see you doing stuff with lower boxes, but it does make me think about when you have some of those things in the environment. If I had like a, a three foot box, that's pretty much going to go beyond the realm of any sort of game based change of direction because the fall is so massive. But Those small boxes, you think about the role of gravity and getting into and out of a cut, it's like, yeah, those small boxes would offer a really cool environmental perspective as well on manipulating that just little extra fall that you have to deal with. And I took a game, actually, I remember in coming back from that retreat, I had some of the groups warm up with, I just took plyo boxes and just threw them all all over the room, made some sandbags and it was basically the ground is lava. If you touch the turf, you're you're it now. And people would play tag like that. And I, but I think the people who loved it the most were actually my kids. <laughs> they were like, you know, four and five at the time or something like that. And they just kept wanting to play that over and over and over again. And I played it with them. And I was like, man, for kids and, and like that level of development too, I just think that would be something that's also absolutely amazing. You could do that and have some one leg chicken fights after for your, your single leg type work. I was going to ask you though, with the. Jason, you had mentioned like it's speed day, acceleration or 10-meter fly. I think that with some of that more uh, linear work, it's it's very easy to be definitive in the sense that at the end of the workout, there's this apex where it's one or several sprints where you're getting a time and you are seeing in real time how the entire warm-up and everything you did before then funnels into that actual effort or any special strength or anything you're Uh, maybe circuiting with those sprints to make an impact technically, any constraints. And so, I, I am curious, do you end up doing any sort of timed efforts towards the end of your agility days that give you or any sort of quantitative mark that might tell yourself or the athletes, hey, you got better at this skill? And I know feeling is the thing that ultimately ports over, but I'm also just curious If from a quantitative perspective, there's things you're building in in the session to evaluate and assess like the success of where the direction people are going.
0: Like you said, feeling is the number one thing because there are so many variations of change of direction work that you can do. But recently, just this year, got like a free lap timing system. So, it makes things way easier. But even... If I were to just like perform a hip turn, like I'm facing the wrong direction, I got to sprint behind me. How fast can can they do that? So we can mm-hmm. time those things. I still like talked to Al Vermeil once, and he he his like version of pro agility was like two and a half yards one way, five yards the other way, and then ten yards. So yeah. it kind of I I love that drill just as a timing drill because it incorporates acceleration and change of direction in all in like a very short distance, a moderate distance, and then a little bit longer distance. And then even something like a 60-yard shuttle, like a 5, 10, 15 out and back, just because that tells me how fast someone can decelerate when speed is higher, which is ultimately really, really hard to do well when when people kind of break it down. But I will say the majority is still just that feeling and it is be- because we have like a really good group of like higher level athletes that come in at 10: 30, they're always competing against each other, they kind of know how they did that day based off of how they performed the agility type stuff. And it is hard, and this is kind of what I always think about when it comes to change of direction. I think too, this is why a lot of coaches in general kind of steer away from it, is that it is super hard to gauge what you're doing and knowing that it transfers when you do any sort of linear speed work. Yeah. You can see like, all right, yeah, your 10, 10 yard fly is going down. This is awesome, what we're doing is working, but it is so much more because it is so complex. It is so much of that feeling type thing that you talked about. But I, I do, like I said, I, I watch a lot of video from all different sports, and I just always try to relate everything that I do, even from a change of direction thing, to some sort of sports scenario I'm thinking of in my head. Like, I'm never just like, oh, let's, let's run zigzag runs or something like that. No, it's, it's like, what is the scenario in which someone is defending someone and you know they run backwards to a side, they made a mistake, and then they run back the other direction. I'm always just thinking of everything in terms of those types of of things in hopes that that creates that capacity to transfer.
1: Yeah. So it's almost if you look at Bondurchuk's pyramid, you have the top is the C E or the competitive exercise. And then the next layer down is the SDE or special um, special developmental. I wanted for some reason I had specific developmental in my head, but uh special or developmental exercises that share both the physical characteristics and biomechanics of that main exercise so to me that would be i I think that change of direction that does did have specific nuances related to sport could fit in there i I think about the next layer down is that spe which now it deals with the physical but not um necessarily the biomechanical and for that i was actually thinking about you know we talked about outputs and how do you measure these things and i was thinking about like i know you do time plyos I was just curious in the sense of like, okay, well, if you wanted to to list how this is effective, right? You have the feeling from the SDE. Can you do you feel this thing, and can you port that feeling over? But then, are there things, you know? I guess if you call it the SP, like time plyometrics, um, like
0: various uh, singular sure. jumps, so like, uh, yeah, like yeah. What, what um, do you
1: prioritize there? Because I, I, I guess I'm just looking for that quantit- yes, quantitative. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you things, brought yeah. that up.
0: So, like, we have these rubber mats that are about like two and a half to three feet wide. And it is like max reps over and back without touching the rubber. If you touch Mm. the rubber, rep doesn't count and go for eight seconds as long as you can. I choose that eight seconds because Mm. even like all the drills that I do, they're usually about two to four seconds. They might get up to about seven or eight, but that's that limit where speed is going to decrease, particularly in any sort of change of direction work. And if I'm only, if I'm trying to improve someone's physical output, I need intensity to still be high every time. Whereas if they get tired, then yeah, it's just a conditioning session, Mm. which I don't want it to be. But doing like side to side pogo jumps over that mat. And if you go back on my Instagram, you'll be able to see it. But that is a great sign of how quickly someone can get off the ground but then even move their body to get in a position to move back the other way and create that angle. And it's wide enough that they have to really work in order to get it, where there's a horizontal component to it instead of just a vertical component to it. Because a lot of the jumps that people track, they are vertical in nature, Mm -hmm. but change of direction work and power expressed in the field, the majority of it still is horizontal. So I'm looking at ways that I can either track that horizontal power or increase the horizontal force when someone's changing direction. And I know you're going to ask about low boxes later, but let's say someone's just performing like a lateral bound side to side. When they're performing that lateral bound, their goal is distance for the most part. And When they think about distance, there's still going to be that height component to it where I'll do a drill. I just term it speed skater, it doesn't really matter what anybody calls it, but where the focus is on maximum distance without your head going up or down or no vertical displacement. And that is something I I do a lot with my athletes. And I can do that by accelerating them with a band, like putting a band around their waist, walking out so there's some tension on it already. So the band kind of accelerates them into that cut. They have to really kind of push hard to come back out of that to mimic that increased speed that someone might have when they change direction. I do like the low boxes too. And yeah, there is a little bit of a vertical component to that. But just that little bit does increase the way that they would accelerate into the ground to kind of make them want to push a little bit harder into the ground to get back to the box. Because I think when people perform drills, and I mentioned this at an NSCA conference speaking. A few months ago, and I mentioned this the large majority of drills that people focus on sticking the landing, it's a submax output. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get maximum outputs. Yes. Like if, if someone's going to the side, performing a lateral bound and then trying to come back, but their focus is on sticking the landing, they're just going way higher so they can make sure that they can come down a little straighter to stick that landing. But what I would actually want. Is someone jumping so far that they're almost falling back into where they came from because they're really trying to increase their, their output. But then if someone's stopping or changing direction, they're doing that with the intent of going back mm-hmm. the other direction that came. So that's something I kind of always think about too, is like, I rarely tell people to stick the landing on a drill. The only time is like altitude drops or something like that, mm-hmm. because I need outputs to be my main goal.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of those things with change of direction, as I always look at. With the the output of it all, one thing I, I look at is, well, if we compare this to a game and all the emotion and intensity that goes into a game, or honestly, even just, hey, if I just rolled out a soccer ball and said, hey, let's go play, or a basketball and said, hey, let's go play, Even if, you know, whatever the quality of those or wherever an athlete is at in their own movement library and movement ability, whatever it is they are doing, they are applying full intention into it. And then sometimes you'll watch agility drills and you'll think, if you watched it right alongside the same general movement happening in the game, you would say, wow, that typical agility drill is nowhere close to the speed, power, intentionality of what's happening in the game. So... I'm glad you mentioned that. And with it, it's something like deceleration as well, I had that listed to chat about. But I think you also have some thoughts on deceleration in the sense of like people who would say, all right, we're going to train deceleration. You just go and you just stop and you don't don't cut back. Yeah,
0: it's like that, that never happens in a game where someone runs and stops. You're only ever stopping with an intention of moving another direction. So, that first part of the ability to stop, that's just the... First step in actually truly decelerating. What we want to do is decelerate and then re accelerate or redirect force in whatever way we need to. And when people focus on just decelerating, they typically get into very deep angles of hip and knee flexion because they're Mm -hmm. so focused on just like coming down or even just running forward and then slamming on the brakes. But what we'd want to do is create enough strength within the athlete where they can decelerate with minimal knee flexion kind of what I talked about before when someone's changing direction where if we want them to accelerate hard out of something there needs to be just a little bit of knee flexion so they can quickly push off of that because if you're doing that off of a single leg you can't get into those deep angles or you're going to be so slow coming out of it you've already lost a step or two you've lost your angle Mm -hmm. you're not you're not getting what you want out of that anyway so yeah, when I hear, and even when I hear like deceleration, so much of it is just focused on sprinting straight ahead and stopping straight ahead. If if someone sprints straight ahead, unless it's for two steps, they're not going to stop with their feet in line with each other. Mm-hmm. They're going to stop with a foot angled to the side because that's yeah. the fastest way for someone to decelerate anyway. So the idea that we we run for five yards as hard as we can and we do these choppy steps, and we land with our feet forward, that just doesn't happen. So that's, that's where I think like, the idea of doing change of direction work that tries to mimic game speed is, is lost a lot of time, where people are just doing drills that they see, but not actually thinking, how does this transfer to anything at all, really?
1: Yeah, it's, it would strike me that if you really wanted to measure the power in that and something like a deceleration, what you would do would be just something like set up two or three steps and then you hit like a 135 cut and sprint 10 meters and time it or something like that. You know, something where
0: you I, I've have seen Lee about- Taft do this before and he's talked about it where he has somebody sprint seven yards and you can time that seven yards, but they have to stop by nine yards and they can stop however they want to. Mm. But you know if their, their time is high on that seven yards that they're decelerating too soon yeah. or they don't have the ability to slam on the brakes like they need to. And then he even did it with like a sprint 10 yards stop by 13 yards. So it gives you a little bit of time, but if you track those times, you can actually see what someone's ability to decelerate is because if they can maintain more speed through their sprints, and still stop by that end goal, they're doing pretty good.
1: Yeah. It makes sense to me too. I've seen people do like where bands pulling you into a a deceleration, you still stick it. Well, in that case, okay, there's a little more intensity for sure, but it's still, well, what if instead you, like you said, use bands to pull people into change of direction? So, if you really wanted something that was high output and technically specific to the game, like you could say the SDE or special developmental category, you would do a band into a. A redirection or a change of direction, and yep. <laughs> it's just funny. I, I mentioned this to you before the show. and this popped in my head the other day. I just thought it was kind of funny, as you would never see, like a vertical jump is a cha- is also a change of direction. You are changing horizontal into the vertical direction, and there's a lot of characteristics and in interplay actually, especially between like a change of direction on the field. And you had mentioned the the qualities of that in deceleration. You said like the one foot is a little bit more of a blocking foot, and the other foot's more of a foot that has that concentric redirecting quality. And you you never see athletes who are jump training go and then practice stopping before they go jump, like as if they're going to go dunk, but then they don't actually jump. They just plant in whatever space they're going to jump and they don't actually go up. Like you'd never see that because you do it and it's like, this doesn't feel like a jump at all. Like you just have to jump. You lose that actually like kind of elastic bouncing ball of high tensile quality on the ground. And like you said, if you were just do a deceleration drill, I think that the, the loss is like you said, to do that drill, you actually have to bend more than you typically would. And I think that would probably be the case in a lot of if you were to go practice jumping and just go up to the box or the rim and then just pause in the, the deep position, yeah. you actually created a longer, more drawn out mechanism that doesn't fit with it, which is I think one of the reasons. Why you don't see that? There's probably several, but one of the reasons that you wouldn't see athletes jump training go to do that. But watch, someone's gonna send me a video. Hey, look at this jumper. He does it. And I'm like, oh <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of a funny reference that popped in my head.
0: For sure. And even like a lot of deceleration stuff, and this is just like speed stuff I see online in general, it is just done way too slow. Like you said, the intensity of a game and the speed that someone moves in a game. You have to try to replicate that Mm -hmm. within everything. So it doesn't matter how far someone's going three yards, five yards, 10 yards, they have to go as hard as they can, or else you're practicing a different skill. Like doing a shuffle at 50% speed tells me nothing about an athlete, whether how they do it 100% speed. And unless you do every drill at 100%. Number one, you, you can't even assess the athlete because doing anything slowly is just way easier. Mm-hmm. And then, if you can't assess them, then every drill that you do, you're just guessing whether that that might be doing something or not. And I mentioned like the two thirds rule earlier, where I want athletes to two thirds or three quarters of the time perform the drill well. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but I want them to hit certain positions, perform it well. And I do want that failure every once in a while because that is how they learn. And if they don't go fast, they can never learn because they're just kind of doing every drill at whatever speed they can in order to execute it well.
1: Yeah. I know you mentioned um, a lot with the feeling with the various change of direction drills. Do you do... You mentioned Lee Taft's timing there uh, to to assess that quantitatively. I mean, are there any... Maybe I asked you this already, but you, you had mentioned Lee's test, but are there any other... Like, I mean, do you use any like a pro agility test? Do you do any sort of like, like Lee's, what Lee mentioned with the time there, I know you have the time plyos.
0: Maybe, I did like, I do like that Al Vermeer, like two and a half yards okay. one way. It's just a modified pro agility, two and a half one way, five the other way, and then 10, 10 yards back. Yeah. Got
1: it. Got it. With uh, the boxes. So I wanted to ask you, we we covered boxes and bands a little bit already. And you mentioned you use it in the scope of games. And could you describe actually that game or, or like when you have, are doing agility with perception and reaction decisions, could you explain a little bit about how those low boxes fit in a little more specifically? Because that really is intriguing. I mean, I talked about the, the island tag and the ground is lava type yeah. idea, but
0: so I, I'm here's, just curious. Here's a, a drill I did last week. So, we were doing hip turns. So, basically, someone has to put a foot into the ground in order to redirect them backwards and, and sprint. So I had them line up side by side. I was behind them. I threw a tennis ball off the wall and they have to chase the tennis ball, but I have boxes randomly throughout Mm. the turf. So based off of obviously where the ball is, they're they're still trying to gain a position over the other person that they're getting. So they want to try to accelerate and get an angle to, to get the ball first, but then they also have to, maneuver around boxes of various heights and i love a drill like that because uh, number one i'm a, just a huge fan of 1 on 1 drills because i think it teaches someone a lot about how how they're moving specifically and not just relying on even like a 2 on 2 like someone else to do the majority of the work in a way and so that that's an example and then each time they go because they're not facing me i can change where the boxes are I can change how I'm throwing the ball. So, they'll have to instantly kind of pick up on those changes while they're still thinking about the other person and going after a ball.
1: Yeah. I I love uh, anything with the ball or one-on-one or anything that adds intent like that. And you could think about too, it's like chasing a ball and you have enriching the environment, the boxes. It's like a, a checklist of not only the drill but I guess environment richness of the environment enhancers (laughs) things to things to deal with jump over. No, can they do they avoid the boxes or are they actually stepping on them possibly too or is it like just running around? They
0: could most of the time they try to jump over or avoid them. Okay, so I'll make them like like you said about three feet. Yeah, so it'll be like about thirty inches is is what I'll put out there or about like six or twelve inches. So the six inch ones they can most of the time just run over, but depending on other step sequences before that they might have to try to avoid or actually get a little bit of a jump to, to go over it.
1: Gotcha. Jason, in terms of the total training time, so if it's a training session, there's probably some strength involved, warm-up times, those types of things. How much time in a session are you typically spending on game speed-oriented things? Or I could say COD versus agility versus strength and other pieces in the program. And I, I know it Differs by group for sure, but just yeah. curious how that lays out in the flow of a session.
0: So warm up, I have it like timed out. Warm up takes about exactly seven minutes long, and the the sessions we do are ninety minutes. So I, I think if, if I'm doing a sixty minute session, something is getting cut out a little bit more than than I would want to. So the warm up seven minutes, and then for about like. 33 to 38 minutes, that's going to be our change of direction and agility stuff. And the change of direction and plyos, I kind of incorporate those together a little bit. Like they might do a change of direction drill, then they'll do like a plyo. And then another couple change of direction drills, then another plyo. And then once they're done those, and those will probably take about like 20 to 25 minutes, the rest of that time is our games. Sometimes it goes a little bit more depending on mm. how it's going. If I feel like the kids are loving it, then we'll, we'll go a, a little bit longer. And then it leaves about like forty-five minutes or so for strength work.
1: Got it. What are what are some of the favorite game setups that you utilize? You know, is it does it fit with uh, or replicate the sport? Is it very very general in nature? Are the games mirroring any qualities that you were working on prior uh, with the COD work? Tell me a little bit more about some of your favorite game setups.
0: I try to have it mimic our focus. So I mentioned like doing a retreating day and like the example I just gave would have been like that, where someone has to go into a hip turn and sprint behind them in order to like get the the ball with like the boxes laid out. I am a fan of different like tag drills where I have people set up in different positions, whether they're like... Someone's going into like a curved run while someone is sprinting after them and trying to time those things. This is probably one of my favorite ones. It's from Lee Taft where let's say he is someone set up at the zero yard line. They have to get through the 10 yard line without getting touched. And I have the opponent lined up about six yards to their left, but all about at the eight yard line. So six yards to the side, eight yards up. So the person sprinting to the 10 has an option. They can sprint forward and just try to blow by them because the other person's thinking like, are they going to try to cut back at some point or are they going to go by? So both people have to kind of make a commitment and then, yeah, it's on go. The person sprints forward, but there's enough speed and enough distance that the defender coming over has to make sure that they close one gap that straight ahead sprint while still being able to redirect or change as the person tries to cut back and go the other way. If that makes sense. I I love that drill. And then I can set up the defender in different parts to kind of do that, but it works on any sort of like sidestep or Hmm. speed cut for the person running straight ahead. It works on the ability to like sprint to the side and either like, move back laterally the same direction or even perform a hip turn and go back behind them for the defender to still try to close that angle. So that's probably one of my favorites that I I have. Another one would be is I have a a one-on-one drill. Players are about 10 yards apart. And at about the five-yard line, I have two sets of cones. So one person is going to either, like the offensive player has to get through either one set of cones or the other and the defender is trying to sprint at them and basically not get juked out. But the key to that drill is you make the defender move back far enough that they have to have some sort of speed when they reach the offensive player. Because if they're too close, it's just way too easy. Mm. And Tony Villani, when he was a guest on your podcast, talked about when Anquan Bolden and Darrell Rivas were going one-on-one with each other, the goal with each of them was to get the other one to move fast. Mm. And I'm always cueing the kids to do that. And I love drills where I'm trying to get both people to get the other one to move fast in some way, because the faster someone goes, the less movement options they have. But If your capacity is better, you also have more movement options at higher speeds. But kind of tells you what your capacity is as well. So, those are kind of some of the examples.
1: Cool. Yeah, I I always love hearing about the different games because to me, that's that um, complex manner that all this stuff will come together. Just to finish out, I wanted to talk just a little bit more about plyometrics. We talked about the time plyos. Some things that I've seen you do uh, that I thought was interesting was stuff – and you mentioned the importance of single leg and we talked about the chicken fights, but uh, small – like basically, I would call it a small to big combo or basically like a single leg where you're doing like smaller, littler hops into like a larger movement or a burst. Tell me a little bit about some of your use of that type of motion where there's like a single leg hopping motion and then it's accompanied by some sort of larger, more explosive direction.
0: Yep. So the whole example of this, and I'll say, I kind of got this idea when I saw Grant Fowler do a drill where he was standing on some bleachers and he hopped off of a bleacher and then did one more additional hop after that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And, I think I saw that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was from a while ago, but my thought is to increase the horizontal speed at which someone does something. So if I'm just doing a from a static position, and I go to one side and punch a foot into the ground and come back to where I started, my speed is limited by how much I can get that initial push off the ground. But if I do a hop that direction, and then into another one, I've increased the speed at which I'm moving. And that's the whole purpose of that is to just increase the speed. And like one of the, I'll say like, this is one of the more difficult ones is if you do a lateral run step, so essentially one single hard crossover with a run, then you go into like a leap and you land that and then try to sprint mm. out of that because you have a ton of speed going into that. And because you get some decent hang time or some air, it really challenges the, the strength qualities of the athlete and their ability to get out of that. And now I know some of those drills like that aren't technically plyometric because your time on the ground is a little bit longer. But I do think there is a a spectrum of what I would call like dynamic movement where I'm still trying to improve someone's speed off the ground, no matter what speed they go into it at, if that makes sense. Like if if I focus only on ever keeping that time to be truly plyometric, especially off of a single leg, You're covering very short distances, but I'm still trying to improve the athlete's ability to link movement patterns or to go from a decent speed into another change of direction while still being able to hit that shin angle and that knee angle that we talked about. But all of those hop into another drill are just ways to increase that horizontal force and increase the speed going into that.
1: Yeah, it seems like something that like like a low box, like if you're doing like a lateral hop up and down to a low box the hop down you have extra gravity on the to overload the leg on the ground it seems like throwing basically just throwing a lateral bound into an otherwise series of typical change of direction steps you're gonna be overloading like kind of like plyometrically overloading
0: that's Uh, it yeah yeah
1: Yeah. it makes it kind of makes me think too about i know jeff moyer's talked about this i believe i think jade it may have been in the one that um, I had with those guys and Michael Zwiefel way back in the day. Well, I think it was those three. And they were just just talking about, you know, people who take too many steps in a direction change or things like that. And I think there's a lot of factors that go into that ultimately. there's I think there's some confidence and perception points too if it's like a specific movement. But I think you could definitely make the argument that if athletes can at least do or throw a lateral bound into a change, like that at least is developing some physical qualities that could fit with needing to take like bigger steps to redirect occasionally or work off of or with a bigger step in the case of redirection or building some confidence associated with that I uh, too, I'd imagine.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things I, I try to minimize with people is like taking a ton of choppy steps to slow down. When I think of changing direction, you are not only trying to increase your physical capacity, you're trying to decrease the ability of the opponent to perceive what you're going to do next. And as soon as you chop your feet, you're telling your opponent you're slowing down, which makes it easier for them. So if you can go into a change of direction where you don't chop your feet and you just quickly put a foot into the ground and make that sidestep or that cut. And I saw Franz Bosch um, taking his course showed a video of this rugby player and he's sprinting down the side and then out of nowhere, like there is nothing different in his gait, And all of a sudden he just puts a foot in the ground and he turns to the side and he just blows past somebody. Like if you were defending him, you had no idea he was changing direction. So that's something else that I'm always trying to cue in a way or, or not cue. Like I don't want to see the, the choppy steps. It is just go. And then, see what happens from there. And if you can increase speed at which you can do that, that's going to make you way more successful. And I think that too is like taking into account the defensive player's perception of of how you're moving. If you always drop down a ton before you go into a change of direction, it's going to be way easier to know that you are doing that. Whereas if you can, if you're strong enough and powerful enough, especially over short distances, to kind of maintain that same head height, it's going to be way better for you and way more effective. Yeah. I I'll add say, something else to that. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. I saw a video of Trey Young, and he's like carrying the ball up, and he's like one-on-one with a person that's approaching him in about the three-point line. And it was almost as if he was going real slow and he was upright to try to get the defender to be more upright. Hmm. And then he dropped down so fast and created a shin angle. It was like his ability to drop was just way faster than his opponent. And he just blew right by them. So, like, that is another kind of component that I've been looking at lately yeah. is like the ability to drop faster than your opponent can also help you i said like if you if you always drop but if you do that slowly you're giving away position but if you're purposely moving slow in order to get someone to be more upright but you know you can drop way faster than them that's going to help you out a ton too because then you you get the step on someone else
1: Yeah. That just adds a whole another dynamic to it, I I think. It does.
0: Yeah. but And that's kind of what I've... That's kind of my latest rabbit hole of like speed and change of direction work is actually having people start upright and then just like dropping and sprinting to the side as fast as they can.
1: Yeah. It's almost the simplest way to do it, really. I mean, the boxes are great, you know, but... If you can use your own, your own body without any, any, anything extra and manipulate that drop down and just, be, and just explore it too. I'd imagine the, you know, the two athletes you were talking about in that situation yeah. where you're kind of luring the defender. And I, to me, I, that's the one thing I love about the game where it's like the more you know about that, the more you can bring that into light in the training processes. It's like uh, Frank Forensic would say, it's kind of like a heckle. Like he talks about these things that make training come alive and you're almost like heckling the other player because it's like, oh, I'm up here. Now I'm not, you know, and that to me, the, the intention that that brings in as well. And just looking at all those, I guess you could say biopsychosocial pieces of sport that go into it is really cool too. But it, that just, to me, that seems like it would deliver so many options because you could do that literally in context of almost anything you were doing, you know, you need percent, box yeah.
0: or band or anything. And I will say it is harder than you think it would mm-hmm. be if you just kind of go into it. Like you probably can't accelerate as fast or drop down in the position you want as well as you think you probably could the mm-hmm. first time you try it. Yeah. The the
1: athleticism that comes out of that too, just dropping down and then going into your acceleration, your direction change and acceleration, it's like doing that with an extra built-in plyometric effect. It's kind of like you know, something that a lot of good, good athletes get in sport automatically, but now you can start to bring that variable into light for people who don't naturally use it too.
0: For sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, Jason, it's been a great show, man. I really, really enjoyed talking to you and listening to your thought process, especially with the, the difference between what you see in sport, what you see in training and all the links that you make. It was really great chatting with you. Uh, before we get out of here, do you want to share anything about where people can find your social media, any sort of projects you're working on that you want to let people know about or anything like that?
0: Yeah. So Instagram, uh, at my name, Jason Fairheller, Jason, F-E-A-I-R-H-E-L-L-E-R. I I post a ton on there. That's probably where... And that's probably the best way to reach me too. And then I have a website, multidirectionalpower.com. And I do have a course on there that kind of goes into these things where it talks about speed patterns and then learning to link those speed patterns and developing power through those things. Then I have a a few programs on there as well.
1: Well, That's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much again, Jason, for being on the show. It
0: was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Joel.
1: Thanks for tuning into another podcast. I appreciate you being here and we'll see you all next week.